around the congregation, one on each side, is a picture. This. It is the marquee from Rowlett Church of Christ. It was posted on Facebook a few weeks ago by the Reverend Jan Davis, who is the pastor at the First United Methodist Church in Rowlett, good friend of mine. And this was sent to her. It had been posted by, I suppose, the pastor at the Rowlett Church of Christ. And it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. And then the question is asked, Why are there women preachers? Now part of me wants, wants to just go boo and hiss. So let's get it out of our systems. Would you say that with me? Boo and hiss. Mm. Now, in our reading this morning, we read from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 37. We read from the passage from which this comes. But did you hear it? No. You did not hear it read. Why? Because, as I will indicate today, it does not belong in the scriptures. <gasps> uh-huh. It does not belong. Now, in your bulletin, you have a handout, a two-sided handout. I want you to look at the side that begins. Below is 1 Corinthians 14, 26-37. Now, you're first you're going to look at this and you're going to say, this is just a bunch of letters. Well, I formatted it kind of like what a first or second century uncio manuscript would have looked like. They were in all caps, that's what uncio means, majuscule. They're in all caps. However, it's in English and not Greek, and I've taken out all the punctuation and all the spaces between the words because they didn't have those things in ancient manuscripts. Why? Well, if you take a look at the back side, you'll see there it is with the punctuation and the spaces between the words. Ah, you can read it now, can't you? Yes, you can. Well, that's, that, if you'll notice, that's a lot larger than the density of the text on the other side, which is smaller but more dense. In the ancient world, they had to produce their copies of their Bibles by hand. Long before the invention of copy machines, long before the invention of the printing press, for over 1,400 years, we produced our Bibles by copying them by hand, a word and a letter at a time. And over time, mistakes began to creep into the text. Now, to, to save money, they would produce it without any spaces between the words. There was certainly no punctuation involved like we have in English. Your punctuation was determined by the parts of speech in the Greek language. And so the text was far more dense than it is for here. But if you look at that, you can read it. It takes a little bit of work, but you can read the text. But it's still, you know, it's not easy. And if something gets left out, it's not easy to see that it gets left out. And if something gets added in, it's not easy to see if something's been added in that doesn't belong. Okay? Well, what we have going on here is 
Paul wrote his letter to the, first, to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote this first letter sometime in the 50s. And he wrote this letter to deal with a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of issues. One of those issues was worship and the structure of worship, the form of worship, what was going on in worship. And we see that here in what was read. He says that when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So in other words, if you're going to have speaking in tongues, you know, only have a few and have interpreters, and don't let them do it all at the same time. You have them do it in sequence. And the same is true for preaching. If you're going to have multiple preachers, fine, but have one preach and then another preach and then another preach with time to consider what is said. Don't have them all preaching at the same time. How difficult would it be if I, I was preaching and Gene was preaching at the same time? That'd be really tough, wouldn't it? That'd be very annoying. That'd be very difficult. You couldn't understand what was being said. The same was true with prayers. The same was true with with speaking in tongues, it all had to be done in order and in sequence so that everything would be pleasing and edifying and building up. That's the context about which Paul is writing here. And if you read it all the way through, you get to the end, you see that is what this is about. How to conduct worship. How to conduct worship is the topic here. Not women speaking in church or not speaking in church, but how to conduct worship. So what happened? Well, if you go back to the second century and the early third century and you look at copies of 1 Corinthians, you'll notice something very strange. You'll notice that some of the earliest copies include the questioned verses the following words, actually. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only one it has reached? Those words are found other places in this passage. Sometimes found up here under where it talks about they should be silent if others have prophecies, then suddenly that is inserted. Sometimes it's found at the very end of the entire chapter. Sometimes it is found in the margin, not in the body text as all, at all, exactly as I have it printed here. I've got it in the margin over here, is how you would see it in some ancient copies. And if you looked at those first and or second and third century copies, you'll notice that the wording changes sometimes from copy to copy to copy. It's not the exact same wording in every ancient copy that we have. It gets adjusted. It gets changed. It's like someone's paraphrasing it. It's like someone is remembering something that they had seen written in a margin and they're writing it again. It's not exactly the same from copy to copy, nor is it even really close in some cases. 
And you notice something else. Even if it's found within the body text, you notice if you're reading it in the original language that it disrupts the structure of the grammar in Greek. And you also notice that it doesn't have anything to do with what goes before it or what comes after it. It disrupts the flow of the passage. All of these characteristics together are a huge red alert siren going off to a New Testament textual scholar. The verses float around in the history of the text during the first couple of centuries of its transmission, appearing at different places in the body text or in the margin and not in the body text at all. The wording changes somewhat from copy to copy to copy to copy to copy. There's not a general version that's the same until you get a lot later. And it disrupts the grammatical construction of the passage wherever it's located. And it doesn't seem to go along with the flow of the account. And wherever you put it, it disrupts the flow of Paul's argument. All of these characteristics are indicative of something having been added to the Scripture. Something that wasn't originally there. There are other examples of this kind of thing in the Bible. A verse here, a verse there. Words here, words there. Sometimes a whole bunch of paragraphs like the woman caught in adultery floats around between Luke and John, never really in the same place early on, uh, twice until you get a little later in the transmission of the text. From copy generation to copy generation to copy generation, from the first century to the second century to the third century to the fourth century to the fifth century to the sixth century to the seventh century to the eighth century uh, yes I'm going all the way to the ninth century to the tenth century to the eleventh century to the twelfth century to the thirteenth century to the fourteenth century during the entire period of the handwritten transmission of the New Testament text at every step along the way variants have crept in Changes have occurred mostly by mistake, but sometimes by design. Passages have been written in the margin as commentary and gotten drafted into the body text. Sometimes it's obvious that's what it is. A later scribe sees it and takes it out. Sometimes it's not so obvious that that's what it is, and it gets left into the text. What we have in 1 Corinthians here, with these words about women keeping silent, starts to show up early on in the transmission of the text. Our earliest copies from the second century have it, but it floats around. It's either in the margin or in the body text. And its wording varies from copy to copy early on. And no matter where it falls, no matter when you look at it, if it's in the body text, it disrupts the grammatical construction of the paragraph. I'm sorry, but this is not authentic. Paul did not write that women are to keep silent in the churches. Can I get an amen from the women here? Amen. Men, hush. <laughs> Paul didn't write it. Now, if you turn to the most conservative Christian scholars you want, fundamentalist New Testament scholars, people who study the Bible from a fundamentalist perspective, and you ask them, where is the inerrancy of Scripture? They will tell you, it's in the autographs, 
in what the apostles actually wrote when they wrote it and the degree to which each generational copy is faithful to it and the degree to which our current copies and our current translations is, are faithful to the originals, there is inerrancy, they claim. Well, friends, those who are the most conservative, the textual history of 1 Corinthians tells us that this passage about women keeping silent in the churches is not authentic to the text. It floats around. It varies greatly from copy to copy in its earliest generations. It violates the grammatical construction of the passage where it sits. It violates the flow of Paul's argument. On top of all that, it also disagrees with what Paul said elsewhere. There's a few chapters earlier in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that when women are preaching or praying in church, they're to do so with their heads covered. A whole lot of people get hung up on that and say, oh, that we just need to ignore that because Paul's talking about women having to keep their heads covered when they're preaching and praying in church. But did you just hear what he just said? When they're preaching and praying in church, they're not keeping silent, are they? Hmm. No. It conflicts with what Paul said elsewhere. It's not found in the same place all the time, but floats around or is in the margin only. It varies greatly from copy to copy in its earliest transmission stages. It violates the grammatical construction of the passage in which it's found. And it violates the flow of Paul's argument about what's supposed to happen right order in worship. Hmm. It's not authentic to the text. Paul didn't say it. So, young ladies... If anybody ever says to you that women should keep silent in the church, what do you say to them? No. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely no. It's amazing if you think about it. The first evangelist, the first proclaimer of the resurrection of Jesus, the first witness to the resurrection of Christ our Lord. The first proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a woman, Mary Magdalene. She went and proclaimed it to the disciples. Many of them disbelieved it. A couple went to find out if it was true and they walked away in wonderment and disbelieving because they didn't know what to think. They were the first witnesses. Women were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They were the only ones other than John who didn't run away in the end when Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying. Women were amongst the first proclaimers of the gospel. Women were very important in raising up the life of the church. They were very important in helping Jesus in his ministry. Jesus mentions them in the Gospel of Luke. It says that Jesus makes reference to them and talks about them and, it, and, and indicates that they are serving like deacons. They are serving of their own susten sustenance. They're serving of their own resources. Jesus and his disciples helping them, helping them proclaim, helping them teach, helping them heal. They're present throughout the entire account of Jesus' life. And they're present, very importantly so, in the New Testament church. Of course Paul didn't say 
women must keep silent. A later scribe said that. A later scribe reading along, angry about women involved in the life of the church in the late second, first or early second century, takes his quill as he's reading the passage and writes in the margin, but let women keep silent in the churches, blah, 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 blah. Let them be subordinate, blah. And he writes it in the margin. And then a later scribe comes along as he's copying it, making a new copy of 1 Corinthians. He's copying it. He sees this remark in the margin written by a, an earlier reader, and he doesn't know where it belongs. So he includes it in the margin. He just writes it out in the margin. A later scribe comes along, sees it, says, oh, that's strange. There's a grammatical misconstruction here. Let me fix it in there. And then he changes it a little bit, and he changes it a bit more. And then the next scribe comes along, sees that, and says, doesn't that belong in the body text? Didn't Paul actually say that? I think he ought to have said that, so let's put it in the body text. And so as he's copying the body text of 1 Corinthians, he includes what's in the margin inside the text. But he didn't know where it was supposed to go. After all, look how dense that text is. How, where, in, where, where in the world do you put this? And so he put it where it seemed best. And sometimes it occurs one place, another times another place, sometimes at the very end. They're guessing where it goes because it doesn't go at all. So, my friend Jan Davis preached an amazing sermon in which she witnessed to God's presence in the life and ministry of women across the centuries and God's presence in her life and ministry. She touches on this issue, the issue of the questionable nature of the text, but then she goes on to speak positively about how women have been called by God across the centuries to be witnesses and proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She uses herself and other women clergy as examples of this. And I could too. I could point to women in my past who have been amazing proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. Lita Gorham was a dear friend of mine. She had been a missionary for years, she came back. She and I were ordained elders together in the same class. I loved her. She was an amazing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's now gone on to glory, but I will always remember her and give thanks for the ministry that she had proclaiming Jesus in Nepal, in Africa, and elsewhere as a missionary. And here in the United States at Urban Park United Methodist Church where she was pastor. At First Dallas where she was associate for years. Georgine Blanton. Georgine Blanton was a good friend of mine. She was pastor at Irwindale when I was pastor at Cockrell Hill. She sponsored me to go on my walk to Emmaus. She was a blessing to me. And before her, there was Helen Phillips. Helen Phillips was in her 50s. She was in my school, my class at, at Duke. We voted her the one who was the greatest preacher in our class. I love to sit and listen to Helen preach to expand upon Scripture, to expand upon what Jesus said and to explain it and apply it in ways that I had never thought of before. Helen could open the Bible and when she spoke, I could hear God speaking through her to me. Of course women are not to keep silent. In church, they are to speak, they are to proclaim, they are to preach, they are to teach, they are to lead, they are to serve with us all. So, if you ever see 
a church with a marquee that says something like this. No, it's a bunch of hogwash. No, it's a bunch of bull loney. <laughs> and instead, lift up, support, advance the ministry of all Christians without regard for their gender, their ethnicity, without regard for their nationality, their language affiliation, their sexual orientation. Support all those who God calls to be proclaimers of the gospel, especially our sisters in the faith. You've had two woman senior pastors here. You've had more in terms of associates. You know that women are amazingly gifted at proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And guess what? The Bible does not say otherwise. A later scribe added it in, but Paul never said it. Take heart in that and answer this kind of stuff that way. Tell them, take a look again at the history of the transmission of the text. listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.